Grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23. Uh, we slowly working our way through the biography of David. Our, our goal is, is to look at David from shepherd to king this year. And if I have the energy next year, or if any of us have the energy to make it to 2021, maybe we'll look at uh, uh, David as, as king who rules as a shepherd. 1 Samuel 23, you'll find it on page 265 of your pew Bibles. And Lord willing, uh, we will try to make it through the entire chapter. So with that, if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. The writer First Samuel writes on their inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 1. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are robbing the threshing floor. Therefore David inquired the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Calah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. David and his men went to Keilah, fought with the Philistines, and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David, uh, to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. And David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they, they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country, in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horsh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horsh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of, of Horish on the hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jeshimon? I'll get it right. Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall surrender to him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go make yet more sure, know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you, and if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Mayan in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Mayan. 
And when, and when Saul heard that he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon, Saul went on the one side of the mountain, David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we ask, as always, you'd open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears, our mouths, our hands, our feet, that your word would transform us by the power of your spirit for the glory of God and by the means of the gospel. May we be people of faith who live by faith. And may you show up in a mighty way to us this morning. May I decrease so that you can increase. In your son, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As a little boy, the first time I ever got to go camping, and I was at Camp Raybro at Cedarmore. Uh, I, I, my brother and I were very involved in RAs uh, in, in church on Wednesday nights, and Camp Raybro was RA Brothers, Ray Bro, and, and I loved Camp Raybro. I loved it every year I went as, as a kid. My brother actually served as a counselor there for a few years. They clearly were desperate, but nevertheless, um, I loved going to Camp Raybro, and I still remember that, that first year we, we went camping. I'd never been camping. I didn't really know much about camping other than I was really excited about it. And so I, I went into our cabin, and I got all of my stuff, and I was ready to go, and my brother saw me. He says, look, I know you're excited, but you have too much stuff. You don't need all of, all of this stuff to go camping. We're just going for one night. All you need are the essentials. What you've got here is a lot of things that may be nice to have, but not the things you need to have. So let us go back into the cabin and let us get the essentials. And as a result, I went, got my stuff, went on the long hike, which would have been a pain carrying all the stuff I had on that long hike, and to have it there in the middle of the woods, in the middle of, of Shelby County, no less. What we have here is David showing us, by God's grace, what are the essentials. If you're like me, when you think of faith and living by faith, you think you have to have everything, right? You, you have to have everything figured out, and you have to have it figured out right now. And as a result, we get distracted by important things. But we fail to cultivate the essential things. And what we see here is David as a man of faith living by that faith and what it looks like. And to help us get through this text, I think it would be helpful to see that we have here a series of deliverances by God for David. The first is the deliverance from the Philistines in verses 1 to 5. Now, recall the events of chapter 22. David has gone from the lonely caves of Adullam and Hereth of Judah, and, and now he is with, with 400 men. He's got him a small army, and it is a growing army, as we see in this chapter. And he's accompanied by the priest of Nob, the lone survivor of, of all of those priests. And so he is slowly taken on the role of a king. And that is a point worth, worth making. One may get the, the suggestion of when the story of David is, he's in this field, God consecrates him to be the next king, he kills Goliath, day three, he's king. If only it worked that way. 
Instead, David slowly becomes king over Israel. And he does so by suffering greatly. He does so by going through this long process of being a fugitive and a refugee and serving under uh, Saul. Well, in verses 1 to 2, we see the plan here with the Philistines. While he's being hunted by the king, David gets word that there is a city in Israel under attack by the Philistines. Now, this is a significant event because Caleb is, is a significant city because it is there where they put a lot of the grain that, that after it's been threshed. And so it is a strategic city because without that food, the people of Israel may starve. No wonder then the enemies of Israel, the Philistines, have attacked the city. And so uh, while watching for Saul uh, on one end, David now has to watch for the Philistines on the other. In fact, David agrees to go and protect the city, which is a striking decision, isn't it? Who is David? He's a fugitive. His, his priority is to save his life. <laughs> he has no other priority whatsoever. Yet he chooses to protect a city of Israel. Do you see what's happening in the narrative? Slowly, David is taking the role of a king. Saul should have been the one to come to deliver Keilah from the Philistines. Instead, it is David. In fact, I think I can prove this. What Saul is doing, instead of protecting his people, he is simultaneously slaughtering innocent priests. Remember that story of Nob we saw last week in chapter 22. In fact, I think I can prove it. Look at verse 6 of, of, of chapter 23. Notice what it says. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, remember, Abiathar is the lone survival, the great-great-grandson of Eli the priest that we meet early in, in, in the book. He's the lone survivor of, of uh, Saul's slaughter of the priests of Nob. Notice he leaves and he flees to David, not in the forest of Horish, which, which you would assume by reading chapter 22. He meets David with the uh, 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 ephod in Keilah, suggesting that while Saul is slaughtering Israelites, David is protecting the Israelites. David is taking on his role as king. So what we see then is Saul, being driven by his hatred, is willing to let Israel and its citizens suffer. Again, hatred is not something that you can rationalize with. It is an all-consuming emotion. And we're seeing that in our city streets right now. We're not driven by logic, but by rage. But David does the right thing even without the title. And can I just add a footnote there of application? We as Christians are called to serve regardless of title. We are people who serve. Christ, if he is willing to stoop down to wash the disciples' feet, we should be willing to serve in any and every way that God may call us to. One of the examples I like to give uh, whenever we, we, we talk about the uh, biblical church roles of, let's say, a, a deacon. And uh, a lot of people have asked, you know, what are the qualifications for a deacon? I said, so, well, they're clearly there on the Bible. But let me give you some insight into whether or not you're qualified to be a deacon. Are you doing the work of a deacon without the title? If you need a title to do something like that, you're maybe not ready 
for it. Your motivation isn't right. But if you're willing to serve in leadership, whether here or outside here, and, and love, whether here or outside of here, then, then, then you might be worthy of the title. We do not require titles to serve. We serve even without them. But, but regardless, we, we see the, the plan there. We've got to go, you know, go save this, this city. But then there is a problem. And the problem is David's soldiers don't want to go. They know that the king has a bigger army and he's hunting them down. Why then are we concerning ourselves with Saul's job? It's his job to protect them, not ours. They have uh, so, so some good points to be raised. And we see that David listens to his men. Saul does not listen to his men. Remember chapter 22, it was Saul's men who says, we're not into slaughtering innocent priests. That just doesn't sound like a wise thing to do. And Saul says, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to get this Edomite to do it for me. David is the opposite here. Well, what David does in verses 3 through 5 is he inquires of the Lord, do you want me to protect the people of this city? God says, yes. And that is precisely what David goes and does. And so in verse 5, David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And they all lived happily ever after. Let's pray and go home. That's the story. You know, just aren't you glad it's a good ending? God delivered David from the Philistines. Well, that's your Bible story of the day. Let us, no, it's not a story ends, does it? If only it ended there. And that means that we go from deliverance from the Philistines to deliverance from the people of Keilah. The people that David saves, he now must be delivered from. But in that context, what we get is Saul shows up. It is Saul the one stirring all these problems. And so in verse 7 and 8, Saul discovers where David is. And, and he, 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 he realizes if he's in that city, I know that city pretty well. Couldn't care less if, if it was burned to the ground by the Philistines or not. But I know it pretty well. And one of the things I know is there's only a single gate to get in the city. So if David and his army are in the city, then they can't escape. All I have to do is uh, besiege the city, and, 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 and I will get David. In fact, Saul uses the language as if God has given David over to him. So what does David do? Verses 9 to 12, he inquires of the Lord, and he wants to know the answer to the two questions. First, will the citizens of Keilah betray him and turn him over to Saul? The answer is yes. Yes, they will. Uh, secondly, will Saul indeed come down and lay siege to the city? Well, he should have already known that, right? Saul will do anything to get rid of David. He is driven by hate and rage. And what we see here is that David has learned from his experience before. Remember, when David first became a fugitive, he flees to Nob, right? And he discovers that by trusting in his instinct rather than trusting in the Lord has, has victimized innocent people. So now what David has done, God wanted him in Keilah. Now he's asking, do you want me to stay here in this city? If not, I will flee. If so, I will stay. But God warns David that he will be betrayed by the people he just redeemed. And God and Saul, rather, will indeed attack the city if he stays. And so, verses 13 to 14, David flees again. Now he flees to a place called Ziph. Notice here, no matter what good David does, 
It looks as if obedience has led him down a path of greater suffering. Think about it. You are given a lie by many well-dressed, nice smile TV preachers, not to mention the politicians and everything else. You're given a lie that good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Aren't you glad life is easy? It's not the case at all, is it? David is doing everything right in this text. He prays better than you and I have probably ever prayed. (laughs) And yet, God continues to lead him down a path of suffering. Now, we as the reader... We know what's happening. David will become king, and God is using this experience to prepare him for that role. But David doesn't know that yet. All David knows is obedience has led to more suffering. How many people are no longer a part of this congregation ever since 1962 and this church was founded simply because they thought, if I did the right things and I played the part and I said all the prayers, my life will get easy. That is not the biography or the experience of David. However, notice here in verses 13 and 14, what is it that, that, that you, you, that something changes in verse 13? Um, uh, verse 13 says, um, David and his men, who were about 600, arose in the party. Doesn't that seem strange to you? Previous chapter, it was 200 or 400 men. The difference of 200. He is adding to his army. God is working in his life if he will see what is happening. While Saul's reputation as a murderous tyrant is being made known, we'll see more of it in this chapter. The reason Caleb is going to turn him over is because word has gotten back to them what what Saul just did to to the priests of Nod. So they're, they're willing to get rid of David to save their own heads. But David is gaining a reputation of being a good, godly Later, well, that leads to the, to the deliverance from Saul. So he's he's got to be delivered, right? So so he saved the people who are not going to betray him, and now he's got to you know, he's got to be delivered from the guy who's trying to kill him just just in general. Well, uh, so while David is preparing to face off the army of Saul, uh, the story takes a surprising turn in verses fifteen and eighteen. Our old pal Jonathan shows up just out of nowhere, right? I mean, we we don't expect this at all. And what does Jonathan do? He reminds David to press forward, affirming God's calling on his life. You will be king, Jonathan says. Do not forget the promises of God. But then notice what else he says there. My father also knows you will become king. That God has anointed you to be king. This is a word of encouragement God will bring you to the throne of Israel. It's also a word of warning. My father is well aware that you are favored of God, and he no longer is. And it is here these two men make another covenant. It's like the fourth one I think they've made. And this is the last time, as far as we can tell, these two men will be together and see each other face to face before Jonathan's untimely death. Well, we see the same story, verses 19 and 20. Just as the people of Keilah did, the Ziphites are going to betray David. And again, the motivation is likely fear. Word is getting around. Saul is on the rampage. Get out of his way. And don't do what the people of Nob did. Now, Ziph is about 12 miles southeast of Keilah. uh, And the wilderness is is, is near, near the town. And once again, the arrogance of the weasel of Saul... Uh, the weasel saw is, is demonstrated. I, 
this language is striking to me. Verse, verse 21, it says, um, Saul said, may you be blessed by Yahweh. I mean, it's blasphemy what he has there. Uh, for you have had compassion on me. Now that is just arrogance. I mean, you would think Saul pulls out his cell phone and takes a selfie with him at that point, don't you? Verse 22, go make yet more sure, know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there for it is told me that he is very cunning. Can I define for you what Saul means by very cunning? David is cunning because David won't let Saul kill him. That is his definition of cunning. Right? <laughs> He's cunning because, I mean, I've thrown spears at him and he just goes all Neo from the Matrix on me. Right? We hunt him down with an army and we just can't track him. He's very cunning. So by cunning means he won't let me kill him. Come on, guys. He won't let me kill him. Well, I think clearly Saul would work well in modern America where words mean whatever it is you want them to mean. Um, right, Z's? Okay, finally you get, that was a funny joke that I don't think anyone caught, deliverance from Mayan. Deliverance from, from Mayan. And so, so he, he, he goes from one town to another and he's always having to be delivered. In verse 24 now, now he's there. So just to help you, here's where everywhere, from, from what I can recall and in and, and study, these are most of the places David has been uh, for the last few chapters. Uh, Jerusalem, right? He had to flee. I think it's starting in chapter 21. The Nob to Ramah to Gibeah of Saul to Ekron. Uh, if, if you're in Breckenridge County, it's Ekron. Uh, Gath, uh, Azekah, and Adullam, Forest of Hereth, Kila, Ziph, Mayan, right? And here's a map of it. This is what it looks like. You know those old reels where the comedians are just running around like checking their heads off, right? And it's, you know, you, you got the music because there's, there's, there's no other sound. That's David right now, but now he's got an army doing this. You know? Um, and he's just running around the place. And you can see where he's had to flee to the Philistines. Remember, he, he went to Gath, that's where Goliath is from, and Adullam, where the caves are from. And then he goes back into, uh, back into Israel and all that sort of stuff. He's, he's going to get, he has, he has to protect a, a, a city there uh, here at the beginning of this chapter. He's just running all over the place. And Mayan is another five miles from Ziph. So he goes 12 miles southeast to Ziph. Now he's had to flee another five miles to Ziph. That is a total. 17 miles. I looked it up on my phone. He's just running and running and running and running. And it seems like in verses 25 to 26, uh, his luck has run out of him. David is a lot like uh, my wife's upbringing. They moved like every six weeks, I think it was. And the, the, no, it's about every two years, literally, about every, every 18 to 24 months. And the joke is they moved every time rent came due. But I just assume that's how they do it in Carroll County. I don't know. But if you're with David, it's probably the way you feel. Apparently, we're not going to pay rent and ziff, so they're going to have us killed. But notice in verse 25 to 26, Saul is right there. Saul's men went to seek him, and David was told, so he went down to, to, to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Mayan. Now he's in the wilderness. Here is a guy supposed to be king. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Mayan. Saul went on one side of the mountain. David his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. And Saul and his men are closing in on David, and his men are ready to capture him. You, you can feel the music beginning to build, the tension of the scene is, is, is really getting there. You're thinking, is the hero of the story finally going to meet his demise? And then all of a sudden, God intervenes in verse 27. Notice what happens. A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. Just like that, with David in his grasp, 
God intervened at the last minute. And this event is significant in the life of David that teaches him the significance of living by faith as opposed to fear, which is the message of Jonathan. So much so, he names the place the Rock of Escape. You see it there at the end of verse 28. The Rock of Escape. It was here. We were ready to surrender. And God intervened. So we see that one deliverance after another. God's hand is on David. So, so, so what, do, what do we do with this text? Why is this so important? I, I remember uh, when I, last Sunday evening, got home, I read through this chapter, and I thought, what in the world is this chapter all about? Maybe that, that's, that's sort of your feelings we go through. I just want to offer two main points of application, and maybe I'll let you go home late. First of all, the man of faith trusts God. The man of faith trusts God. There's two ways David demonstrates this in, in this chapter. First of all, David uh, sought God in prayer. He seeks God in prayer. Notice on at least three occasions, David cries out to God. In verse 2, therefore David inquired of the Lord, shall I attack the Philistines? Verse 4, then David again inquired of the Lord. In verse 10 and 11, David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servants. What am I supposed to do here? Even more, what we have in this scene, and I hope you're noticing a pattern, is that David turns to art as an expression of his, of, of, of his experiences as a way to cry out to God. We saw this last week with some of the Psalms. We see it here this week. Turn with me to Psalm 54. Psalm 54 is the psalm that David composes while on the run uh, from Saul um, while dealing with the Ziphites. Okay? So, so he's been betrayed by people of Keilah. Now he's been betrayed by people of Ziph, which is an awesome name of a town. And, and so he composes this psalm. And I want to emphasize uh, the, the, the first four verses. We had time we'd look at in some detail. But just notice how, how it begins. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Notice what he's doing here is he is seeking God in prayer. He expresses that through what we may call a journal that is now a psalm. That he writes down these prayers in a poetic, musical uh, 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 means, but, but, but that's because he is a poetic, musical person. But the emphasis we see here is that he has learned the importance and how essential prayer is. He seeks God in prayer. He didn't do that before. Before, he just went the knob because he thought it made sense. Now, he goes to Ziph because that's where God is leading him. He'll go to the wilderness if that is where God leads him. But he does not do anything unless he has prayed. Not only that, he served God faithfully. Every time David inquired of God, he obeyed regardless of the popularity of that decision. When asked to defend the people of Keilah, the men of his army hesitate. But David did the will of man over the will and the approval of men. This is one of the things we Christians have got to get over. Why do we fear men more than we fear God? And did it ever occur to you that the opinion of the culture should not affect you one single iota? I mean, why, why, why do we care what some blockhead on CNN thinks of you? Why? Get over that and move on with your life. 
David doesn't care what people may think about the decisions he's made. If, he is, if his conscience is clear that he sought the glory of God and, and the approval of God in his decisions, he is content with simple, essential obedience. After all, what good is prayer without obedience? James will say in 122, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Jesus will say in Matthew 26, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, it isn't what I want in this life. It is what your will is. I submit in prayer to be obedient. In fact, you can't separate those two, can you? We pray in order to obey. See, it is all too common for us to obey God when convenient, isn't it? And when in agreement with God. David chooses to obey God, regardless of the cost, regardless of the popularity, and regardless of his own desire. There is a direct correlation between the man and woman of God who prays and the man and woman of God who obeys. Show me one who is faithful to Christ, and I will show you one who has a robust prayer life. The second thing we need to see Not only does a man of faith trust God, but the man of faith is strengthened by God. I think this is a point we we really miss. Because our relationship with God is a two-way street. Now, oftentimes it's a one-way street because we're still in bed, spiritually speaking. But it's a two-way street. Yes, we are to pray, we are to obey, but notice that that God plays a role in the story. The first thing God does is he answers David's prayer. Isn't that encouraging to see this in, in this chapter? When David prayed, God heard and responded. At the end of verse 2, it says, and the Lord said to David. At the end of verse 11, and the Lord said to David. God still, to this day, answers prayer. The problem is, is that we expect, often demand, God answer our prayers in our pre-approved way. God, please do this, but only this, the way I want you to do this, right? Right? There was an R.L. Stein Goosebumps uh, show many years ago. Yeah, I may be aging myself, but what do I care? And, and uh, I, look, I'm closer to 40 than 30 now, so I've stopped caring, right? I, I, th- I think that's when it happens. So some, some of y'all have been there can, can probably concur. Nevertheless, and, and, and it was an episode called Be Careful What You Wish For. And, and this little girl, she wanted, to be the, she wanted to score the most points on her basketball team, be the highest score. So this witch, or whatever it was, um, uh, you know, the goosebumps, uh, she's okay. And so the team scored two points. She's the one that scored them. I don't know why I remember that. Probably some childhood trauma. I don't know. But, 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 and so, so that I always keep that in my mind thinking, well, if I'm going to ask God for something, I got to be very precise. He knows what, because I don't want to be like that girl who only scored two points and their team got destroyed by that other team, right? That'd be embarrassing playing Carroll County and only score two points, right? It'd just be awful. Just awful. And that's the way we pray. We, 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 we think, you know, if, if I tell God exactly what I want, I'll hold him accountable, right? And if he doesn't give me what I want, I'm going to complain. Well, notice here that the answers God gives David in this chapter aren't ideal. His answers are, yeah, you're going to be betrayed, David. Yeah, you're going to be attacked, David. Yeah, you're going to keep fleeing and you're never going to be welcomed anywhere you go. No. You ain't going to be king yet. Are you okay with those answers? It's great when you're reading a story that's over 2,000 years old and about a hero of the Bible. What if it's your story? No, you're not going to have that career thing figured out just yet. 
Yeah, life is going to get more difficult. 2021 is going to be more, more difficult. The economy may not recover anytime soon. Are you okay with that answer? God answers our prayer even in ways we don't want Him to. Look, God will give you an answer to all of your prayers. He may say yes in the glory of God. He may say no. Give glory to God. He may say not yet. But give glory to God. God hears and answers prayer. Look, if, if you're a parent, your children come to you and they make requests constantly. It's the only thing they really know how to do. Let's, let's just be honest. Can I have this? We do that. Will you buy this? Will you? All that sort of stuff. My answer to them is always yes, no, not yet. And what lies behind those answers is a loving father who cares deeply for them. And my answers are driven by that love. May we take the old hymn seriously. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly. And you will keep singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. The Apostle John encourages us in 1 John 5, and this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that is Christ, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Let us quickly look at the second thing under the, how God strengthens us, and that is God uses people to encourage us. God uses people to encourage us. On two separate occasions, God sends a loyal friend to David amid his troubles in this chapter. The first is Abiathar in verse 6. We talked about that. The second is Jonathan, verses 16 to 18. What we see is Abiathar comes and provides spiritual aid. Jonathan comes and offers him his presence. We need that, don't we? Look, the beauty of the gospel is he has drawn us together. Let's be honest. If it were not for the gospel, you and I would not know each other today. We wouldn't. We would not be in relationship that we are today. But God has drawn us together so that we may encourage one another. And in that context, there is a secondary theme of this chapter that, that we could spend a whole week on, but, but we won't. And that is the issue of loyalty. Both the treachery of Saul as well as Zela and Ziph uh, demonstrate disloyalty. But the risky loyalty of Jonathan is quite the contrast in this text. Was it the Harriet Truman supposedly once said, if you want a friend in Washington, D.C., get a dog. <laughs> may, not, may that not be said of the people of God. Both of these men are used by God as answers to prayer, whether it be Abiathar or Jonathan. David needs to be strengthened, so God sends him Jonathan. David needs spiritual guidance, so he sends Abiathar. Do not underestimate that God has placed people in your life right now. Maybe you need right now, or maybe in a matter of minutes, days, weeks, months, or years, you will need. And do not underestimate that you very well could be one of those people in someone's life right now. Live by faith. Be strengthened by faith. And be sure to strengthen others by faith. Let us not forget these essentials of what it means to live the Christian life. The man or the woman of faith will live by that faith. 
And whatever it is we may pack for this trip, may we not leave home without those bare essentials. Let's pray.